would go ahead and be seated. We are in the midst of a series right now. Thanks, guys. Uh, we are talking about how sharing is better together. We're, we're working through uh, what this looks like in a real tangible way uh, for those of us who believe in a local family of faith, how important it is. We, we started off talking about how we have to remove barriers. And all those barriers are just preferences, things that we would make a big deal that God does not make a big deal. Uh, we talked about the following week how we have to exemplify this grace that is a big deal, that is based upon our primary doctrines. And then last week on Reformation Sunday, the 500th anniversary, we highlighted the core doctrines, the five solas that, that make up uh, what it is we believe. Of course, we have, we have other uh, doctrinal statements that go beyond those, but those are fundamental to, to what it is we do. And today we want to we wanna talk about how it is we can help those who are onlookers, are looking at what's going on in, in the world, and, and then they're friends and family with some of us. And so they're, they're wondering, here's what they're wondering. You, know, you talk about living hopeful, being helpful, and what they really want to know is, okay, does your hope work? Does your hope really work? And does your hope really give you happiness? Because I know happiness in this world is a fleeting thing. But you say your hope is living. You say your hope is eternal. Will, will that hope really give me happiness? And, and they're looking. And they're wondering. And, and, and they're really wanting to know. And, and, and so we have to be able to look at them and understand what they're going through and, and what they're dealing with. See, uh, all lookers, they, they, they have a, a spiritual reality they don't quite understand. But they're making decisions. And I've said this to you before. I like to highlight this. Understand what we believe drives what we feel. And what we believe and feel drives what we do and how we live. So we have a whole world of people that are making decisions for how they live and what it is they do. But we don't need to look at that. We need to look past that. We need to look behind those actions and see what thoughts and feelings are motivating them. See, we all do and we all act on what it is we believe and what it is we feel. And now we're in this post-Christian, post-truth, post-modern world, and something fascinating is happening. Because as society is becoming more secular in, in, in terms of education and communication and a broad sense of media, and yet statistics show people are becoming more and more interested in spiritual things. As secularization rises, there are more questions about, okay, I know that doesn't work, so what about this God thing? Who is this God? What is he like? Can I know this God? And, and they're looking, they're looking on to us and they're, they're having these questions. Now, that doesn't mean they're not atheists. There's atheists sitting amongst us right now and living in a what, what they would call a closed system that's all built on natural realities. There are no supernatural realities. There's only measurable natural realities. But what's really fascinating is to watch what happens when those who will only believe in a closed system and natural realities, how they deal with things like miracles and mysteries. A friend pointed out, and I hadn't really noticed it, how so many of these shows on, on like science networks are having more and more um, features on aliens. 
And I said, have you ever thought about why that is? And I said, no, I really haven't thought why that is. It seems kind of wild to me. They said, well, look, if you don't believe in God, you have to come up with some explanation for these miracles and for these mysteries. And if you only believe in a closed system, natural world, then they can only be aliens. And I thought, well, okay, I guess so. That makes sense. But you know, there's a whole bunch of people in the world that are saying, okay, aliens, the science doesn't make sense, the distance. Uh, okay, so what about these miracles? What, what about these mysteries? Is there a God? And if there is, can I know this God? What, do, what can I know of this God? And, and what we need to realize is that people are making decisions they're choosing what they believe, which is impacting how they feel. And so thoughts and feelings are now driving their actions. But what's happening is confusion. We have, we have mass confusion in our, in our society. I mean, you just look at Hollywood. They don't know what to do. For years, they have lived without a moral north, without, without a, a solid sense of what is true and what is right. And so now there are all these kinds of crazy things that are coming up, and, and there's headlines about, you know, Hollywood's reckoning, a, a, a culture for predators, the structure of the film industry. And so there's all kinds of questions about what do we do? What do we do? And there's accusations being made, and there's, there's actually judgment statements that are being made. But then the question has to be raised by what are you making your judgment claims? How can you call someone wrong when for years you've been making movies saying it's right? Where, where is the sense of truth in this? And how does it work? And so I'm not into condemning Hollywood. If anything, I think we need to sympathize and empathize with those who are victims and for those who are the victimizers, those who are causing the pain. Because in reality, when you, when you don't believe in God and the truth, and you don't feel His love, well, there's only, there's only a few choices of options for how you will live and act. And it will be outside of the moral north of the goodness of God. And so we need to look at our world around us and realize our world is looking at us. And they're wondering, is your hope real? Is your help authentic? Is it really powerful enough to give me happiness in the midst of this broken world? See, in Hollywood, that what, what they've been teaching, what they've been showing, what they've been living for, it's coming up short, and they can't make sense of it. The same is true of our society, of our world. Many of your friends, many of your family members, it's coming up short, and, and, and they don't know what to do about it. So they're looking, they're, they're, they're looking on to, to what God is doing in this family of faith because they know you. And they're wondering, can it be true? In Acts 17, we find the Apostle Paul dealing with a culture very much like our own. People struggling with spiritual realities. People struggling to think and to feel and then to live. But what they've had has come up short. And God called Paul there to share what we now hold and believe. And we get an insight into what it is we need to be doing and how it is God worked and how he's at work now. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me now to Acts chapter 17. 
We're going to look at a larger section of Scripture, but right now, Joanna Zang is going to come and read for us a shorter section, just a couple of verses in the midst of this, verses 19 through 21. So, Joanna, come on up, sweet girl. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. As Joanna reads for us, just the middle section of, of verses 19 through 21. All right, sweet girl, are you ready? Okay, go ahead and read that for us, verses 19 through 21. Oh, hang on a second. I don't think your mic's on. Say this for me. Say test, test. It's not working here. Look, my mic's on now. Get down in your personal space. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Indians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Joanna. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Friends, we can't change anyone's life. We can't do it. What we, what we have to do, though, is we have to be sensitive and be aware that people are looking on. And we have to understand there's a lot of brokenness, confusion, and hurt. And, and when you see people acting outside of the Word and the will of God, the last thing we need to do is belittle and judge them, hate them. We need to love them and be all in all of the God who made us and who made them. Remember every person you're looking at. Remember what C.S. Lewis said about every single person you and I come in contact with. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are immortal, and their, their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every one of us, one of two, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It all depends on our relationship with Christ. We need to engage onlookers. And we need to live hopeful and be helpful to them. How do we do that well? Our scripture shows us. Uh, take note. Uh, to engage onlookers well, first of all, we must observe lives and be concerned. We need to, we need to observe their lives. And I just got to know, this is going to lead you to be very concerned. The, the word that, that was used here for the Apostle Paul, he was provoked. Look in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the Spirit was provoked with him as, within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. It's very easy if we want to, to ignore and to become indifferent to the lostness and the darkness of our world. You don't mean to. It just starts to happen. I remember years ago when I, when I entered into India for a mission trip, when I first stepped off the airplane, the heat and the smells, and then to see the children who had had their arms cut off and their eyes filled with acid who were now blind so that their handlers could get more money for them, it overwhelmed me. It disgusted me. It, it caused me great emotional uh, struggle. Can I tell you, sadly, within 10 days, I got sort of used to it. Because you see it so much. It's just so normal there. There's so much hate. And, and, and after even 10 days, I was beginning to say, yes, this is hate, okay? You know, we, we got to be careful.
careful that in our world, in our nice little city here in Bowling Green, that we never get used to the lostness that's all around us and never grow indifferent to it. We have to see people for who they are. And that's scary. Because see, if you really see people for who they are, it's going to move you. Remember this, guys. Remember what happens to, to all of us. What we believe drives what we feel. What we uh, believe and feel drives what we what we do and, and how we live. So as we see people making terrible decisions with their lives, causing pain, and, and, and not even giving serious consideration to the gospel, friends, that does not need to lead to judgmentalism. It needs to lead to empathy, sympathy, concern. And to, to look at them as fellow human beings struggling. See, to, to really look at people, you have to be willing to be provoked. You have to, you have to be willing to see uh, that, that, that they're counting on something that cannot provide for their eternal soul. And that, frighteningly, but truthfully, every one of them will stand before God and give an account for their life. Hebrews 9.27 and 9.28 says this, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now is the time of salvation. After a person dies, there's no more opportunity. Now is the time. Now is the time they can hear the gospel and respond. Now is the time they can see your hope. They can receive your help. Now is the time. And right now, we, we, need to, we need to observe their lives, and we need to be concerned. Not, not angry, concerned, provoked, and, and want, to, want to help. Not just to get their behavior to change, but so that their hearts and their beliefs can drive behaviors. It's real easy if you want to, to become apathetic. And, and, and I think if we're honest, many of us would say, yeah, we've gotten used to our Western culture with all its lostness and darkness. And, and we've got to wake up to the reality of their pain and suffering and the judgment that is coming and be provoked. Friends, we've got to observe lives. We've got to be concerned. Secondly, to engage onlookers, onlookers well, we, we must discuss beliefs and be reasonable. We have to discuss beliefs. And we have to be reasonable about our faith. Look at verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, Many, uh, may we know this new teaching that it, that it teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We, we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Friends, the, the Christian faith is reasonable. It makes sense in light of all that is happening in our world. Now, there is a caricature of Christianity that can be rightly blamed on us because of some that are out there who do not understand the gospel rightly, and yet they go about the business of screaming and yelling at people. There was a family who was at the football game two weeks ago at Western Kentucky University, and as they were coming in, there was someone on a loudspeaker yelling out, yelling at people of different lifestyles, telling them that they deserve to go to hell, saying that God hates you because you're a homosexual, because you're a drunk, or because you're a sinner. And thankfully, the little girl uh, of this family was able to look at her mom and say, that's not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of love. It's the gospel of truth. 
It's a gospel that cares. It's a gospel that brings new life. See, like the uh, Athenian culture, our culture is one that loves new things. But here's the thing. Only the gospel can bring about something that is new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can give you a new life. There are so many of you sitting here right now that would like to say, I want a fresh start. I, I, I need a new beginning. Only Jesus can give you a new life. Only Jesus has the power to give you a new heart. Ezekiel 36, this promise has been fulfilled, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's not just a life where we try to do better. It's a life that is new because He becomes alive in us. He changes our heart. He changes our existence, our very identity, so that we believe and we feel differently, so that we live differently in this gospel, and it continues to make us new. We, we can pray like the psalmist, and some of us need to pray, and, and are praying, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Some of you, that's your prayer today. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. And like the saints, uh, for now two millennia, we, we, we call out to God and we take responsibility for our mindset. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we have this capacity by the living God inside of us, Holy Spirit, sent to us by Jesus who died for our sins. We can have a new life. That new life only comes in the gospel. And it's reasonable. You know, you think about the three circles that I present to you regularly. I present this because it makes so much sense to me. The world is filled with pain and suffering, and everyone knows it. Everyone says the world is not as it should be. Well, how do we, why do we say that? Because God's design is harmony. But there's so much brokenness. Now, what a lot of people don't acknowledge is it's because of sin. But the good news is that Christ has come. If we will repent and believe that God loves us, came to die for our sins, to live in us, we can pursue and recover God's design. And then through the study of His Word, by community and the saints, through accountability and care and personal discipline, we can continue to pursue Christ and live hopeful and be helpful. And as we come in contact with a broken secular culture, we will see sin and it will break our hearts and we'll see the brokenness. And we ourselves will, will repent of our part in the brokenness of this culture. And, and the gospel will free us all the more, and we will be able to, in greater strength, pursue and recover God's design. It's reasonable, friends. We have to live it for it to seem and appear to those who don't believe that it is. Third, to engage onlookers well, we must claim Christ and be compelling. Paul was compelling. You look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods of the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
being then God's offspring, we ought to not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of the and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He appointed. And, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Notice what Paul did. First, he acknowledged, I see that you're seeking truth. I see that you want to have hope. I see that you're wondering how it is you're supposed to live. He said, also, I, I noticed that there's something missing. I see that you created this unknown God. And he says, this is the key to the life that you're looking for. This God has now made himself known. And he pointed to Jesus. He said, God has become flesh. He has overcome sin, and he proved it by being raised from the dead. And so now you can believe. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus has the authority to judge. The Bible is clear that Christ will judge. What has amazed me, I am no, I am far from an educated man as it comes to, as it, as it, as it deals with Islam. But I have a dear friend, Sadeg, who, who was uh, a, a Muslim. As a matter of fact, he was training to be an imam. And he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ because when he was studying, he found out that in the Quran it actually says that Jesus Christ will judge people. Now that shook him to the core, and his imam and his parents could not answer how this could be. It startled him because now it meant he had to take Jesus seriously. It startled him to know that this means that Jesus, according to their their uh, false faith practice, though, that is alive. And that he's going to judge. He didn't know what to do with that. Jesus came to him in a dream. The word of God was taught to him and he was saved. I ordained him two years ago and he is now taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is a miracle. This is the miracle of God. That Christ has come the world knows they long for rightness with God. Many don't know how to get there. My brother Sadeg has, has received Christ. He is now proclaiming to Muslims that Christ has come. And the only way he can do that effectively is to understand his hope and the truth of the gospel and the love of God that is permeating his life. And so it is with us. The only way we can help onlookers is to be able to show the truth and the hope and the love that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Finally, to engage onlookers, we, 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 we must trust God and be hopeful. Look in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some mocked. Friends, if you proclaim Jesus Christ in your workplace, in your home, amongst your friends, you will be mocked. There will be, there will be some who reject. Listen, I get it. Every Sunday, I stand up here and proclaim the gospel. And people reject that good gospel every week. I proclaim the gospel regularly throughout the week as, as, as folks hurting come in for counsel. And many reject the gospel. But that doesn't keep me from proclaiming because you know, you want to know why? Twice this week I was asked, Pastor, how do you maintain hope? 
How is it that you keep standing up and delivering the gospel? How do you have time to sit down and talk with me and, and, and continue to have confidence? And here it is, friends. Jesus Christ saved me. The worst of sinners. And I believe he can save everybody in this room. And I believe he can save anybody in this world. And I have the hope of Jesus Christ in my life. And so, so did Paul. Many mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some, some men joined him and believed among those were Dionysius and Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. Friends, I got good news. Some of you have family members, folks you work with that right now are on their way to hell. But I've got good news for you. Within a matter of days, possibly months, some maybe years, they will be saved. Not all, but some. And a big part of their salvation will come about because of your prayers. I don't know how many people it took to pray me into the kingdom of heaven, but I imagine it was a lot. And so it is with some of you. So it is with some of your family and friends. It's by praying for their salvation. It's by living hopeful and being helpful. It's by being able to engage onlookers, understanding that what they think and what they feel is pressing what they do. And we need not judge what they need. We need to look beyond to what it is they're thinking and feeling and speak to that. Be reasonable. Be loving. Allow it to break your heart. I know that's hard. I know you're busy. I know you got other problems. And I know you got things that you got to take care of in your life. And I understand. I understand if you take seriously the lostness of our nation and our world and your families and your friends, it will break your heart and you will be provoked. I get that. But Christ Jesus will strengthen you in it. He will sustain your hope. By the truth of His Word, your mind will be renewed, and you will find your own faith being strengthened as you seek to offer the faith to those who don't believe or who have maybe wandered away. This morning, I want to invite you to come and pray for them, to come pray for yourself, to ask God to give you a renewed faith, some of you to receive faith for the first time. It's only in Jesus that a new thing can happen in your life. It's only in Jesus and the gospel that a new thing can happen in your marriage, in your home, amongst your friends, in your workplace, in your school. It begins with prayer. And so this morning I invite you to pray. Let's stand together as we sing. But first let's pray. Lord, we are going to give praise to your name. This new song uh, that, that uh, Jason is shared with us. And, and as we sing praise to your name, Lord, we also want to come and offer prayers um, to, to, to even say names before the throne of grace today of those that are hurting. It, it may be that we pray for Hollywood. It may be that we pray for uh, leaders in our nation and the world. It may be that we pray for a parent or a sibling, a son, a daughter, a parent, a friend. Maybe, God, that some come today and say, Lord, save me. I need your grace. You're a good God. Your grace is unending. Your, your mercy knows no end. 
you're willing to save to the uttermost and transform and make new. So would you now, would you hear us as we praise you and hear the prayers of your people? In Jesus' name, amen.